Well, welcome back to another podcast where we are looking at the upcoming epistle lesson for Sunday. We're going to be following the order of service on page 296 in Lutheran Service Book. That's daily prayer for noon. And then we'll be uh, diving into the epistle reading from Galatians chapter 5. So let us begin. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Listen to my prayer, O God. Do not ignore my plea. Hear me and answer me. Evening, morning, and noon. I cry out in distress, and he hears my voice. Cast your cares on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous fall. Glory Glory be to to the the Father, and to the Son, and to to the Holy Spirit, Spirit, as as it was in the beginning, beginning, is now, and and will be forever. Amen. Okay. So we are back in the Epistle of Galatians this week. Uh, This is week two of three weeks being in this epistle. And if you remember last week, we kind of jumped into the middle of the epistle in chapter three and the beginning of chapter four. And today we pick up uh, in chapter five with verse one and then jumping to verse 13 through 25. And in this section, we get uh, the classic uh, fruits of the spirit, right? Which everybody... It's a a well-known passage. uh, Yeah, yeah. It's always fun when you try to ask people to, to say them all. <laughs> and remembering, too, uh, the kind of differences in language between NIV, ESV, King James throws you off a little bit. If you've memorized <laughs> it in one, it becomes yeah. difficult. Um, it was great because we had a song that we, we worked with with, the, with one of the kids' choirs and uh, corresponded exactly to the banner that we have in this translation. So it really yes. stuck with them. Oh, good. The, the fruits yeah. of the Spirit. Yeah. So... Um, Context for where we are, Uh, if we remember from last week and also remembering just in general what's going on in uh, the church in Galatia, Paul is talking to this congregation because they are in a lot of strife, strife over that group of Judaizers who have come in and tried to incorporate um, Jewish traditions and the law into Christianity, essentially, right? Making sure that uh, people followed the things of Abraham the Old Testament uh, way of doing things, uh, specifically speaking about the most important circumcision, right? Um, Introducing that back into the congregation, saying if you are to truly be a Christian, well, you must still do these things. You must still do these works of the law. And again, the main one being circumcision. And so that's caused a lot of strife among the congregation. And uh, Paul is writing this letter to um, help them understand what it actually means Uh, to be free in the gospel and to be free in Christ, justified by faith, no longer being bound uh, by works of the law. Um, And And so, And that's important background because uh, it came through a little more clearly in last week's epistle than it does in this one. Uh, Yes, yes, uh, exactly. Yep. Um, And as we go through here, some of the words that are used kind of refer us back to that stuff, but when you read it just in English, it doesn't really have that nuance to it. But if you read it in the Greek, it kind of makes you think of the things in the past. But in the English, it doesn't translate that as, as well. So we'll kind of uh, hit those as we come upon them. But, but what, what, what comes through for me is, is, and we'll get to this later in the passage, is, is that it's definitely addressed it at their, um, the, the flaws and the relationships in the horizontal dimension. Oh, absolutely. With, with, with each other. Yep. They aren't yep. getting along with each other. Right. And so, yeah, if last one focused more on the vertical relationship, like you're saying about uh, our relationship uh, 
because of Christ now to God and our gospel freedom, well, what does that look like um, now as we live that out uh, with our brothers and sisters in Christ? Are we, are we living that way? Are we doing the opposite? And so that's how we get that uh, juxtaposed list, right, of you do the things of the flesh versus things of the spirit. Um, and so we'll, we'll go through those. Um, yeah, any, any further comments before we dive into no, a little bit? Let's, no, let's jump in. Okay, so Paul, if you would read for us uh, verse 1 and then 13 through 15, please. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not, be, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Yeah. Okay, so verse 1, I, I'm assuming this is why uh, verse 1 is included in the pericope, uh, and then jumping to 13, because it kind of doesn't... Uh, give us context of what, what freedom is he talking about, right? If we just picked up in verse 13, but that verse 1 tells us, uh, for freedom Christ has set us free. So that's what he's, he's talking about there. Uh, and then he says, um, stand firm, therefore, right? Be planted and do not submit. Don't give in again to that yoke of slavery. And what's a yoke? It's a, a burden, right? Um, remember. Um, when here, and here's his reference to the old law. Yeah, right, exactly. Yep, yep. Yeah, uh, the man-made laws, right? right. That's your saying. Yep, exactly. Um, and so he's saying, don't don't fall into that. Um, now, one thing again, just clarifying for people, what Paul has set up in the beginning of the letter to now what he's focusing on in these last uh, two chapters mainly is that difference between justification and sanctification, right? As we speak of in Lutheran terms. We know that justification is how we're made right before God, again, through Christ's um, propitiatory uh, death. Um, but now Paul is focusing on that sanctified life, right? What does our life now look like, like you were saying, the horizontal relationships? What does our life look like now that we are justified, right? How do we, how do we live out our life? Um, what does it look like compared to the, the neighbor on the other side who maybe isn't a Christian, right, and doesn't have this freedom of the gospel? And so... Um, for freedom, you've been called brothers. Um, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So that's a great thing there um, that hits home today too, is how many times people say, well, I can sin because I can always go and ask for forgiveness, right? That's kind of what he's saying here. Don't use your freedom, the ability to not be burdened by something else, to then go do something else that is only gratifying to you, right? or sinful, um, but your freedom is actually freed you to then do things for others, not for yourself, right? That's the point. Um, and then uh, verse 14, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Um, well, who is famous for saying that? Jesus, right? Well, yes. Yeah, yeah, in the God <laughs> Well, no, but just to say, you know, uh, He's just reiterating, right, the words of Christ there. Um, when asked, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and then love your neighbor as yourself, right? Um, so when it says that the whole law is fulfilled in one word, we talk about the law, um, we always talk about the spirit versus the letter of the law, right? 
So the letter being like the actual um, what it is, and then the spirit, the intent behind it, right? Um, and so when he says the whole law, well, it's both. You know, what, what does the law say? And then really what's the spirit or the intention behind the law? And the intention behind the law is love, right? Why did God set these um, rules up for us? It's to be boundaries so that we don't hurt our neighbor, right? It's to be boundaries so that we don't hurt ourselves, but that we love ourselves and we love our neighbor uh, and take care of and, and not sin, really, right? That's the, the main goal. Um, but doing things for others, uh, living selflessly and not selfishly. Um, and then uh, verse 15, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. So that to me kind of sounds like the other uh, rule that Jesus gave, right, that we call the golden rule, do to yourself or do to others as you'd want done to yourself, right? So if you bite and devour one another, well, guess what? You're going to be consumed by it as well, right? You're not just going to scathe away from it or get away from it unscathed, but you're going to be affected by it um, as well. And again, what is this biting and devouring one another? But what he talks about later on when he says the uh, works of the flesh, those dissensions and rivalries and arguments that they're all having between each other in the congregation over works of the law versus freedom in the gospel, right? Uh, they're, they're literally tearing themselves apart over these things. And so he's saying, don't be bitter. Don't um, try to destroy other, others in the congregation. Because watch out, if you go on the offensive, um, especially in the wrong way, you're going to be consumed by the other, right? Well, and it, and it may be applied, I think, even more broadly, that uh, it's not just a matter of, um, of disobeying those things. But it's, it's um, as you said, the golden rule. So um, just by trying to climb up above everyone else, you end up... Um, you, you might end up at the bottom of the heap if you're not careful. Yeah, yeah, exactly, right. Um, and it, again, great, great stuff for us too. Um, and this is going to come up later in the text as well. But one of the things, and I was doing the reading on this, is this is where um, you get into that difficult discussion of like Christian freedom, right? Well, right. And I, yeah. and, and I think I would guess that uh, Luther probably quoted this passage when he was making his, his case about the freedom of the will. Yeah, exactly, right? And, and with Christian freedom, though, um, what is so easily done in the church and when we take Christian freedom and we elevate it to a level of doctrine, right? And we start arguing about it. Um, well, that we can dive into some rabbit holes with that, obviously. <laughs> but the idea is that, of course, there are things that we should fight for for salutary reasons, but we shouldn't be so um, quick to take things that aren't mandated, right? Adiaphora, in a sense and make them uh, so divisive that they actually rip apart the church, right, instead of building it up. And so that's kind of a warning to us as well uh, in the modern context. Um, that's always the warning uh, that we, we need to be careful of. Um, okay, any, any thoughts or the rest let's, of that? Let's, let's move forward. Let's move forward, okay. Uh, would you please read then 16 through 21. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. 
Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Yeah. Okay, so a lot there. Um, so walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Um, so when he has all this spirit talk, right, in spirit language, reflecting back on what we talked about in chapters 3 and the beginning of 4, what, what is he reminding them of? Their baptism, right? Mm -hmm. That now that they have the Spirit, right, because that's where we receive the Holy Spirit, through the waters of baptism, uh, walk in that spirit, right? In the faith that you've been given. Uh, and if you do that, well, naturally you're going to not do the things of the flesh because the things of the flesh and the things of the spirit are diametrically opposed to each other, right? Um, Coming back to the baptism, can, we, can yeah. we assume that even though they were kind of having this distorted view of, of, of what it meant to to be Christians, mm -hmm. that, that they definitely were baptized. They oh, had, yeah, absolutely. Yep, yep. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because that, I mean, that would have been brought, anytime it was brought to a congregation, that's why, I mean, that's why he's, he's reminding them again in three and four of what baptism is, mm -hmm. right? So he wasn't really encouraging them be baptized, but he's speaking it to them already as the baptized. This is the reality of what it means, right? So reminding them of that. Um, and so again, again here, now 18, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. So that's always an interesting um, phraseology. If you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. And this is the whole thing of like where radical Lutherans say, well, we can get rid of the law. It's not necessary. See, we have the freedom of the gospel. It's not what it's saying. It's not saying that you get rid of the law, but it's saying that you're not, again, going back to verse one, you're not burdened by it, right? You're not under its yoke, it's not condemning you, but it transforms into that law of love, right? Um, doing for others and uh, doing for yourself in a positive way, right? Not a selfish way, but again, more importantly, even doing for others. And when you're led by the spirit and you're living in the ways of the spirit that he talks about later, well, you're not being crushed by sin. You're not being uh, burdened by the fact of, uh, the law is condemning me, right? Because you're living the gospel. You're not uh, sinning, essentially. I mean, not that it's not saying that you won't sin, but it's kind of saying, obviously, if you're if you're doing the things of God, what are you not doing? The things of the flesh, right? And, and maybe they understood it um, as um, maybe the ceremonial law. That you, when you when you talk about the three different types, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that that was perhaps the one that they 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 certainly didn't feel as bound by. Right, right. Yeah. Um, okay, 19. Interesting, there are 15, 15 things that Paul talks about, right? <laughs> the desires of the flesh. And um, I mean, he, he hits basically like every category, right? I mean, very broad. Um, well, and some of these, I mean, when you, when you read them, I mean, if he's lumping them under the, the umbrella of... Uh, sins of the flesh, mm -hmm. some of them I would you know, put in a different category, like sins of, of, of the mind and the thoughts. Oh, okay, than okay. Actually, the, but, but, I, but I get his point. Like, for example, the, 
the anger and the rivalries and, and, and things like that. But the other ones are definitely sins you commit with your body. Yes, yes. And he starts off with three sexual sins, right? Sexual morality, impurity, and sensuality. And he's doing that because he's highlighting the rampant um, sexual activity in the pagan culture, right, in Galatia, which like most others, like in Corinth and all that, um, all the things associated with the uh, pagan gods always revolved around sexual things. And so he's hammering that first and foremost, um, that your life no longer looks like this, people. Uh, you know, now that you are a Christian, um, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy. So starting in that um, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, and divisions, well, that's summing up everything that we already said about letting these divisions enter the church and then causing strife between one another, right? Um, again, with what the Judaizers are doing. Um, envies included in that. And then drunkenness, orgies, um, that is also connected with um, the pagan gods of the time. So like Corinth, one of the things that the people did in their worship of these um, false idols is that they would go and have these huge feasts and at these feasts, they would get drunk, orgies, all these things, right? And that was natural and part of their um, religious life, if you will, uh, but in the, in the pagan sense. And so he's um, explicitly condemning those things and saying those are obviously of the flesh and ungodly. And then he says, just so that you don't think, um, you know, I'm reading through this list and, oh, none of those fit me, so I'm good. He says, and things of the like, right? So he's, he's making it have some specific things that are also somewhat general, but then he's, he's making sure that he covers all of his bases to make sure that nobody you know, escapes or thinks that they are, aren't you know, doing things of the law or of the flesh. But. Right, which should cover any sins against each other. Exactly, it right. Should. Um, and then he says, like typical Paul fashion, there's always a warning somewhere in his epistles. Uh, I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Um, that's a tough phrase because, you know, people naturally like to think, well, okay, so what is he saying here? If, I, if I'm a sinner, then I don't inherit the kingdom of God. He's not saying, eh, if you, you know, sin here and there, because we all are going to sin, right? We're, we're still sinners. What he's trying to say is, if these things become or continue to be like they were in your old life before you became Christian, a part of your regular habit, right? These are behavioral characteristics of who you are. It's your character. It, it uh, infiltrates everything you do. It's, it's your being. Then you won't inherit the kingdom of God because you aren't of God. Um, and that's, again, something hard to talk about. But uh, if you do all of those things, what are you actually doing? You're rejecting well, yeah, the spirit you're by you're your life. You're rejecting it, and, yeah. and you're really not embracing your new identity yeah, exactly. as, a, as, a, as a Christian, as yep. a child of God. Uh, they, they must have struggled mightily to shake off these old habits and these old Yep. These old beliefs from their, you know, their their pagan religion. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And that's what I warn you. That was his uh, personal warning, right? And now he says, "I warn you again." As he writes to them, um, yeah, these things are rampant, and uh, 
they hadn't changed when he received his reports. So he's harping on them to make sure that uh, things do change. Um, and again, I love about Paul that he's very direct, right? Uh, because ultimately when you're direct with your people, uh, talking from a, a clergy perspective, you're only direct with them because you want them to change their ways and repent and live according to who they are as Christians, right? You don't want them to stay stuck in their sins because if you um, took joy in the fact that they were stuck in their sins, well, then you shouldn't be in the job that you're in, right? Um, exactly. Yeah. I was going to say that exact same thing. Yeah. So then, then what do you do? Yeah, right. <laughs> so um, Paul is, is being a good shepherd, right, um, or a good evangelist, and uh, he's warning his people because he wants them to repent and, and receive the fullness of what they've been given, right, through Christ. Um, okay, so we, we went through the list of um, all of the things of the flesh, and then he opposes it, right, with the fruits of the Spirit. Um, so if you would just read, let's just read 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, might as well just read 25 sure. then to finish out. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Perfect. Um, okay, so first before we jump into the, the fruits, um, the whole idea of fruit, why does he use that language? Um, well, think about what a fruit does, right? Um, within itself, it has the capacity to make more of itself, right? So the fruit is the proof of something good happening, of growth, of, um, of producing something new. Um, but the, the language of fruit isn't new to the New Testament. Um, that's how the prophets even spoke. Like if you look at Isaiah, uh, he speaks of the fruit of the people of the true Israel, right? That's how he speaks. And he's looking at all the ways that they are disobeying God, and he's urging them and begging them to produce good fruit, right? Um, so in the Old Testament, that terminology is used a ton. And obviously, Jesus himself uses it, right? Um, being more being more of an agrarian culture, they, mm -hmm. they could all relate to it very easily. Yes. But it's just like the, the parables. I mean, why, why do a parable about the seeds? I mean, everyone yep. would understand that. Correct. Yep. Right. So this is, like you're saying, that's the, the lingua franca that they, they can understand, right? And the tenants in the fields and the, and yep. the vineyards. And, and, and yeah, he... You're right, he, he came back to that over and over again. Yeah, yeah, and you know, obviously we're sitting in the sanctuary right now when we're seeing uh, our John um, vine and branches, right? Yeah, so John, John 15. Yeah, and so, um, yeah, it's all about bearing fruit uh, as you are made new in Christ. And so he gives the list, right, which we know. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, now, what I found interesting is, is that you know, if he's trying to trying to contrast these two, you mentioned there were fifteen uh, of the sins mm -hmm. of the flesh, but there's what is it, uh, eight, or, eight, eight, or, yeah. eight or nine, yeah, seven, seven or eight of the, of the new ones. Yeah. But not, to me, none of those words is a, is a as a an opposite of some of those um, sexual sins, like purity. You think he would? Oh, you know, correct. You, yeah, you yeah. Know, it's not. It's not exactly. It's not an exact yeah. right. Well, and. So he starts with love first, and in our modern culture, we hear love, and it's just so fluffy, I think. You know, we don't really 
think of the, the deepness, but really the, the word that's used there for love should make us think of the Father's love, right, in sending the Son, and so, and the Son's love in sacrificing. So really that's what Paul is saying there when he says love. He's trying to reflect them back to the sacrificial love that they should be exemplifying um, as they, going back to um, verse 13, as they love through service of one another, right? Um, doing things, sacrificing, not for their good, but for the good of the neighbor. Um, okay, so he starts with love and then joy, peace, and patience, kindness, goodness, said him again, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Um, so you made the good point that these aren't exact opposites of the things of the flesh because the idea is, yes, look at all of these and see them as individual for what they are, but the whole idea is this is the character of Christ himself. And so the spirit who now resides in you through baptism, he is transforming you into living like the example of Christ, right? So you should, it's not like you look at this list and you say, ah, yes, I make peace with people. Therefore, I am of the spirit. No, it's a holistic thing, right? If you're of the spirit, guess what? You're doing all, I think it was nine, nine of those things. Right, they overlap so much. Yeah, yeah. And so, again, just like... Um, or just the term goodness. I mean, yeah, you right. wrap anything <laughs> to the term Exactly, goodness. right. Yeah, and faithfulness, all, all of those things. Um, faithfulness to what? Well, you can go on your list, right? God, your spouse, your children, vocation, yada, yada. Um, and so against those things, there is no law. Again, there is nothing um, really to criticize, right? because who can criticize those things when those things are of God um, and those are, are God's ways. Um, and then so in 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So that again is a reference uh, to baptism, right? Right, um, well, and also the, the, the don'ts, the list of the don'ts. Exactly, right, right. Um, and so as Lutherans, when we see crucifying the flesh, we should think of Luther saying, uh, flesh gets crucified daily, right? We rise, we crucify, and then we, we die to sin and rise again to new life. Um, so it's a daily crucifying of the flesh with all its passions and desires, um, and then raising to new life that Christ has given to us. Um, and so if we, if we live by the Spirit, 25, let us also walk by it. So if we claim to be inhabited by the Spirit, right, if we live in the Holy Spirit who has been gifted to us in baptism, let us also walk by the Spirit, and that walking is really to be in line with, right? That's, that's how it translates. Be in line with the Spirit. Um, keep in step with the Spirit, who is doing what? But showing you, giving you Christ, and so you now be Christ out into the world, and that's, that's kind of the point. Right. If you had to substitute different verbs, I mean, it would, it would almost be like if we, have, if we have belief by the Spirit, then we we act. Yeah, yeah, uh, good. Act by the Spirit. Exactly. Or, or, or live the sanctified life. Yep, yeah. yep. Yeah. So, you know, the nice thing about this text is even if you didn't know all the intricacies, when you read this, you get what it's saying, I think, right? It's oh, not very clear. Yeah, yeah. It's not um, anything that's going to make your head spin. Um, but it's, it's a great thing to reflect on um, because, again, all of these things still pertain to us. It's easy enough to say, uh, well, that was that congregation. Well, Every congregation has it, right, and, and in its people, own ways. Right, and people have not changed. Correct, right. And so um, 
yeah, this is a good, good thing for us uh, to understand um, as we live the sanctified life um, as baptized, redeemed Christians in Christ. Well, Paul, what hymn have you chosen for us this week? Well, I didn't choose it. You didn't choose it. Well, I, uh, I, I, I say that because it is the, is it, it's the designated. Oh, it is day. correct. Yes. Uh, mm -hmm. And what do I mean by that? Uh, when the, um, when the editors of the hymnal uh, put things together, um, they also generated a list of suggested hymns of the day mm -hmm. that correspond with the readings for that day. And for this coming Sunday, it was the hymn that we're going to look at today. It's 688. Mm -hmm. Come follow me, the Savior spake. And um, I didn't realize it was the hymn of the day till you, till you mentioned it to me earlier today that, yep. oh, this is the hymn we're going to use for Sunday. Yep, thought, yep. Well, now I, now I see where you got the inspiration. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, and it's under uh, the category of sanctification, right, in the hymnal. Uh, so it is. It all and, fits. and the, sometimes it's, it's not apparent because we're looking at the epistle lessons. What are the Old Testament and the gospel about? Yes. Those, those are very much, uh, uh, they have kind of a missional emphasis to them. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah. The Old Testament is looking at the call of Elisha, essentially. And in the New Testament, Jesus is saying those who, uh, you know, when he calls people to follow him, they better follow when he, <laughs> when he, when he calls because, you know, those who start and then look back, he says, uh, aren't, aren't fit for the kingdom. Right. So, right. Yeah, if it's very if much. They're, if they're wobbly. Yeah. Just, yeah. Uh, think, look forward, look forward. Yeah, exactly. Yep. So the hymn, uh, 688, is uh, one of those from the, from the 17th century, uh, one of those uh, German hymns. And it's uh, the, the story behind the author is actually uh, kind of fascinating, Johann Scheffler. And he was, he was born in what is now Poland, in, the, in that area. There's that, that, that part of Northern Europe that went back and forth mm -hmm. uh, uh, over the, the course of history and, and raised Lutheran. He was baptized and raised Lutheran. Okay. But in the course of his life, he, when he had moved away uh, uh, for his studies, he came under the influence of uh, Catholic mysticism. Oh, wow. And uh, he did become a Catholic. So he, he converted, huh. and it was um, uh, through this, this influence that um, he, he wrote a lot of hymns, but it's interesting because his hymns generally reflect uh, his more Lutheran upbringing. That okay. mysticism didn't, didn't flow into his hymns yeah, or, or the poetry of his hymns that he wrote later. Okay. And... Um, he uh, studied medicine in both Belgium and Italy and was uh, uh, found some positions later in life as a court physician, but became uh, frustrated or, or, or I don't want to say just dis disillusioned, but unfulfilled with that and decided to become a priest. So going from being raised as a Lutheran all the way, you know, through followed that road and actually yeah. became uh, uh, ordained as a Catholic priest. And interestingly, in that in that role, he actually um, uh, polemicized against some Lutheran doctrines, which brought him some unwelcome attention. But um, uh, he fully embraced this this Catholic mysticism mm. that that he had encountered. But fortunately, as I said, he it did not uh, wend its way into his hymns. That that right. they found rather wide usage because they were pretty solidly grounded. 
Um, the tune, Machs mit mir Gott, is actually an earlier tune. Um, and so uh, the, the tune preceded the creation of the text. And it was, it was the particular setting, the version of the tune that we, we are familiar in with is the one by uh, uh, Hermann, Johann Hermann Schein, who is one of those, the, the famous uh, Schein, Scheidt, and Schutz, famous German composers from the, the 17th century. Kind of a trio okay. of very famous uh, German Lutheran composers. He's the one that kind of crafted this particular tune. And um, it was translated for us in the 19th century as many of our many of our, our hymns that we use in English now that were originally German um, uh, have come down to us by uh, Charles Schaefer. And uh, this was not a Catherine Winkworth. Uh, yeah, I was going to say that's a, yeah. <laughs> this was not one that she uh, uh, attempted to translate. The imagery of it is is very much one of discipleship. Come follow me, the Savior spake. But I, what I find interesting about this one is is that they retained, at least in our current hymnal, they they retained that old language. Yes. In, mm -hmm. in some previous versions, it was changed to the Savior spoke, so that it was you know, more yeah. modern English. But I suspect that's because so many people had memorized it as spake. Well, and, and even uh, the other place that, that, that comes up is, is the older version of the Creed. Mm -hmm. um, if, mm -hmm. if you recall from the, the TLH from 1941, um, they used the word spake, oh, not, not in the Creed, sorry, in the Confession Absolution. Uh, oh, it, it, yes, the, yes, the, yes. The, mm -hmm. the word spake was in there. Of course, most people then understood it. I would assume many still would understand it, but yeah, it's an irregular yeah. congregation, uh, conjugation of the verb right. as we use it now. But it's, it's interesting to note that of, of all the stanzas, of all the five stanzas we have there, that first stanza has had no alterations uh, in it from the original. Oh, wow. Okay. The subsequent stanzas... Yes, they have experienced, um, you know, the the old touch of the hand alt or A L T period, which means that somebody's been monkeying around with the mm -hmm. poetry that they're trying to uh, make the language a little bit more accessible. And and many many times it's a worthy a worthy effort if it doesn't destroy the poetry too much. Right. Um, fortunately for our for our hymnal editors, they didn't go overboard with with. Um, trying to excise all uh, uh, gender, you know, gendered forms uh, mm -hmm. in, in, the, in the hymns. They've, they've left those in there. So um, that's very, very fortunate for us. Um, the text of this uh, refers to some very famous passages. For example, uh, stanza two, I am the light, uh, that refers to one of the famous I am passages mm -hmm. out of John. He says he's, I, he is many things. I am the light, I am the good shepherd. Right. Uh, I, I am the bread of life. Mm -hmm. Those, uh, the, one of those many I ams. And um, the balance of the hymn talks about what it means to follow Christ, to, to, you know, to, to give up ourselves and to follow Christ and live that, live that sanctified life, walk in the spirit. Um, Stanza three talks about um, well, it's it's a lot of it is couched in quotations. So you're hearing the voice of Jesus, mm -hmm. "I am the light," or my verse stanza three, "My heart abounds in lowliness." That uh, that uh, yeah, 
he he that is how he characterizes himself that he is he is lowly uh, in, mm-hmm. in the book of Matthew. And um, stanza four is one that is actually by a different author, unknown, oh. but 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 by a different author. To me, it it. it it sits rather comfortably within the rest of it, so I think that's why it's it's been retained. It's, mm-hmm. It has this a lot of the same sentiment, but but just flows in it within the, the hymn rather comfortably. So it's it's been left there for all these uh, di- different appearances of it at different hymnals. Yeah, well, I, would, I mean, if you read that, three quarters of it really hits well with the epistle, right? Mm-hmm. I teach you to shun and flee what harms your soul's salvation, your heart from every guile to free from sin and its temptation. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's just make, I think it's a clear connection to. Right. Right. Now, as an example of, of some things that were changed when you get to the fourth line there, um, I am the refuge of the soul. In the original uh, translation, it was um, uh, much closer to I am uh, your rock and fortress, more like the language oh, of really? Psalm 46. Okay. Um, uh, Perhaps this is closer to the original German. I did not have the original German in front of me, mm-hmm. but that was that was done with a number of, of, of hymns when the Lutheran service book came out as they went back to the original German sources and, and asked the question very seriously, can we do a more accurate translation? Not that some of them were bad or inferior, but can we actually get something that's even more mm-hmm. close? Right, uh, right. So perhaps this was one of those, those cases. Um, I, uh, I will propose that, uh, why don't we sing two stanzas of this? Why don't okay. we do, uh, one and two? One and two. Okay. Come follow me, the Savior spake, all in my way abiding. Deny yourselves, the world forsake. Obey my call and guiding. Oh, bear the cross, whatever betide. Take my example for your guide. I am the light, I light the way a godly life displaying. I bid you walk as in the day. I keep your feet from straying. I am the way and well I show how you must sojourn here below. These old old tunes from this period have have such interesting rhythms to them, mm-hmm. and I always I I can always tell when I'm working with a with an instrumentalist who maybe grew up in the Lutheran tradition. Um, when we get to a hymn like this, they play it with no problem. But sometimes, if you give it to somebody who was raised in a, in another tradition, um, they're, they're they're confused by these oh, okay. uh, a, a little bit. We pause and in, in, in certain places and, and take yep. a breath there and. And, and as Lutherans, we just know you do that. Right. But if you're just reading the notes off the page, sometimes it's 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 kind of a kind of a puzzling thing. Yep. We actually did that uh, with a hymn two weeks ago. It was like that. I don't know if people were used to a different translation or something, but there was a breath in it, and people were were going through kind of um, 
but I, don't, I forgot which hymn it was, so not making a great point here. But the idea is you're right that people, some things are natural, some aren't. And, you, you know, with different hymns and settings, and maybe, maybe it was a different tune that we're used to a flow with the, the wording or. Well, and, and, um, and um, just a little inside baseball thing, too. There's, there's some hymns that um, they've changed how it looks on the page from the TLH to this one. Uh, to the current hymnal, and um, I think they're trying to encourage uh, musicians, the organists, to maybe lead it a little bit differently. Okay. And, and I know there was one, one hymn, yeah, in, very recently, in a, in a recent Sunday, and I thought, how am I going to play this one? Do I want to pause there and breathe, or do I want to plow right through? And I went back and I looked at how was it treated in the old hymnal, yeah. And, and there was definitely a clear pause there. And That's I thought, what it was. There was no pause in the in the new hymnal. Right. There's a pause in the old one. Yes. Right. So that's what it right. was. That's right. Yep. So so what do I do? Do yeah. I assume <laughs> do I assume that they're going to sing it the way they grew up, knowing it, uh, and just kind of know that this is where you pause, or do I be just very literal to what's on the page right. and don't pause there? So sometimes you you sing it through to yourself and you decide, do I need to to take a breath there. If I need to take a breath there, maybe I should I should play it that way. I mm -hmm. we don't want people to feel uncomfortable like they're gasping for breath. Right. They, they, right. And or that it maybe even obscures the poetry to just you know just yep. plow right, Go right through. through. Um, sometimes you need that little moment to digest what have I just sung in yeah. that phrase. Well I think it works very well. You know it was natural to pause, like you said, well, and, it, and it, yeah, I, yeah, I remember, I mean, <laughs> it, I think it threw the people off the first service, or in both services, just the first chunk of the stanza, because that was the first time they saw that, but then it was like natural for the rest of the way, right? Because it was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense, a pause, yeah. Yeah, there's many, many decisions like that, and and and, and I'll be honest that, that, you know, over the years, I've even changed my opinions about some of that, because um, I've heard other musicians play it a different way and decided, you know, they, they've convinced me, it, <laughs> you know, it should, yeah. it should be, it should be executed in that way. Um, and there are even suggestions in the companion that goes along with the hymnal about uh, things like that for the benefit of the mus musician, just mm -hmm. so that you can render it in a way where uh, people feel comfortable singing it. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, you don't want, uh, the worst thing that can happen is, is that people feel uh, doubt and afraid, um, they'll they'll stop singing. Correct. If, if, right. If they're unsure about things, yeah. and that's that that can be kind of kind of deadly to congregational singing. So yes. Things yes. I try to avoid. <laughs> right. Well, good. Okay. Well, one of my favorite hymns, so I'm excited to sing it. Good, and, and uh, we'll sing we'll sing all five on Sunday. Oh, good. Okay. <laughs> all right. Well, then let's continue on um, with the service in the service book with prayer. O Lord, have mercy upon us. O Christ, have mercy upon us. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Blessed Lord, you have caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning. Grant that we may so hear them, 
read, mark, learn, and take them to heart, that by the patience and comfort of your holy word, you may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you for listening to this week's Bible study podcast. It is our hope that it has helped you grow in faith and appreciation of our Lutheran worship traditions. Speaking of worship, remember that from Memorial Day through Labor Day, our Sunday services are at 8 and 9.30 a.m. and our Monday service remains at 6.30 p.m. God's peace be with you.